All right, welcome back to The Landing Spot. I'm Lauren. And I'm Sammy. And we're happy you're joining us. Intro, music intro on the way. Yes, we hope. <laughs> we're working on it. Um, yeah, what an amazing weekend we've had. Yes. We uh, did a lot of nothing. It was really a staycation <laughs> in the best form. Yeah. We just uh, spent our entire day in our grunge outfits. We left the apartment once to go get rotisserie chicken. And then we came back and cooked and cleaned and watched Game of Thrones. Oh, it has been two years since I've watched an episode of Game of Thrones. I don't know what I've been doing in Spain. <laughs> like, it's obviously very clearly accessible to people here in Spain, but for some reason it just seemed impossible to me to access it. Yes. And then, Sammy, you just dropped out of the sky, and you're like, why don't Ooh. we get an HBO subscription? Priorities. Here's Game of Thrones in English. Yeah. And I was like, oh my god! Why did this take so long? <laughs> We're gearing up and getting ready for the season 8 premiere. Yeah, I have a lot of catching up to do. Yeah. So... Yay. So I wanted to take some time this week to tell our listeners our purpose for the podcast. Um, And I think that it's uh, what I feel moved to say right now is that we're navigating the transition between it just being our conversation and we sort of knew that we'd share it, but we didn't really have an idea of who our audience would be. And now we're ready to start telling our friends. And so with that comes the sort of added pressure the nerves, the the sense that we're being listened to and watched, and we want it to still be authentic. So as both of us navigate that shift, we hope that you are kind <laughs> about it. So whenever we were first dreaming up this idea of starting a podcast, um, I think the conversations had really starting, started, Sammy, with you talking about wanting to find ways to memorialize our time here mm-hmm. um and kind of naturally out of that we started thinking like what would be good ways to do that and somehow a podcast arose yep um and we spent a lot of time thinking about okay what would that look like what would we want to talk about and for me as I was like brainstorming and thinking about okay what would be good about a podcast I was like oh It would be so cool for Sammy and I to have a time set aside each week where we can just get to know each other a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So like, yes, it would be fun to like publish our conversations and have other people listen in and, you know, get feedback and interaction like that. But like, I was like the thing that like, whether or not anyone else listens to these, like the thing that I'm going to take away (laughs) is like, I get to hear Sammy tell these stories that might not come up if we didn't have this platform every week to kind of sit down and talk and get oriented. Yeah, I love it. And that is so meaningful to me um, because I enjoy getting to know you too. And it felt like we were were diving into such, such deep levels of our own identities so quickly and so meaningfully. And it, I wanted to somehow remember it and preserve it. So I've always loved to scrapbook. I've always loved to take pictures. There's something about nostalgia that is such a value to me. I actually just recently read that as a cancer. We love antiques. We love things that are old, that have meaning. So I think that that also kind of plays into my heartstrings, wanting to have something that I can carry with me and like share with my future 
children, grandchildren oh my gosh. of this time together. Hi, future Sydney's children <laughs> that I don't know, and I yes. love that you get to hear my voice. Yes. <laughs> and there's something special about a podcast. That's This is the currency right now. Mm, there is something special. We both love podcasts. I'm actually going to talk about some podcasts, I think, in this episode. Ooh. Um, Well, the last thing I want to say about our purpose is the other thing that I think is special is we usually set aside Sundays to do this. Mm -hmm. And for me, growing up, Sunday was always a day of church. Um, And one of my favorite memories of church was after church, the whole car ride home, my mom and I would spend the car ride deconstructing the sermon and talking Mm -hmm. about like, what did it mean critiquing the pastor? I always say that was like my very first form of literary analysis and literary critique was like... (laughs) breaking down the sermon afterwards I would you know me I was there with all my little notes like what is the pastor saying Mm -hmm. um but what's he really saying and so for me it's nice because I feel like this infuses our Sundays with a little bit of the sacred and like Mm -hmm. helps us kind of reflect on the week behind us and like recenter for the week ahead oh thank you for saying that it's so true I completely agree and yeah for now, ready to dive in. So today's episode is disordered eating, honey bunches of oats, and cow face posts. Cow face posts. So disordered eating and honey bunches of oats were both cards that I submitted mm-hmm. to our list. Drawing. So I thought about I've thought a little bit about what I want to share, and it's possible that these two will come together because they're a bit great, <laughs> of course. Tell so, us the stories. Yeah, let me tell you a little bit about my knowledge of disordered eating um and I think that it's totally appropriate because both of these are my stories that if you want to interject with questions or you can probe me for follow-up details absolutely just like our normal conversations yeah exactly okay well I want to share with our listeners that I've struggled with disordered eating and body dysmorphia so what that means is there was a there have been periods of my life, but the longest, most serious period was right before I moved here. I had an eating disorder called orthorexia. And I think when I first shared this with you, you weren't, you hadn't heard of the term yeah, before. Yeah. Yeah. So orthorexia is basically, it's, it's a form of an eating disorder where you are obsessed with healthy eating, air quotes, healthy eating. Cause I think that different people may define it differently. And um, it manifests in obsessive compulsive disorder um, behaviors. Mm. Oh, so, I don't know if I knew that last part of the definition. Yep. Yeah, and I go- just googled it again to get like a fresh, a fresh look. Um, so that meant that I made decisions about what I was going to eat, when I was going to eat. I was constantly studying what other people were eating and comparing it to myself. I was body checking in the mirror and thinking that I needed to eat less so that I could be more toned, be more thin. And I really believed that that it, that it would equate to my happiness, that the two were intrinsically linked. Um, and I think that if you had asked me about two years ago, if I had an eating disorder, I wouldn't have said yes. I wouldn't have identified what I was doing as disordered eating because to me, I was just in the pursuit of health. And I thought that what I was doing was good for my body and my soul. And I think to some extent, some of the behaviors are, but not to the 
degree of extremity that I was taking things to. Well, and that form of an eating disorder is hard too because I would guess, like with many eating disorders where women get social approval for like Mm -hmm. the outcome, Mm -hmm. with um, orthorexia specifically, you would get, I would guess, social approval for the input of the food into your body because like... We all are on this quest for healthy eating, uh-huh. and these are the behaviors that you're demonstrating. So rather right. than like doing something socially unacceptable, like not eating or throwing up, mm-hmm. you're doing something that socially is acceptable. Yeah, like, oh, you eat so healthy, you eat so many vegetables. Oh my gosh, you work out every day. That's so noble of you. Oh, you look great. You've been on a diet. You've lost weight. And like these are such normalized compliments right. nowadays. And right, I had such a sense of power that I derived from it. I felt superior to other people because I was eating cleaner than others. And there was this clear sense of this food food is good and this food is bad. Mm. So I'd love to give you some examples. Um, Some of the earliest memories that I have of quote disordered eating. And and, okay, I should back up and say now, current Sammy where I am, I define disordered eating as any kind of diet, any kind of restriction, any kind of I have to eat this and I can't eat that. And whether it's the the specific type of food or it's the quantity of food. If you're not listening to what your body wants to eat, then there is some sense of disordered eating. Mm. And that in college for me looked like (laughs) filling my plate with as many fruits and vegetables as I could and lean proteins and not having any dessert and not having anything that had like too many carbs. I never wanted to eat pasta, pizza, um, unless it was like a special occasion. And I remember that I would go, I would eat my my plate and then I would go back into the dining hall and I would go pick up one French fry and then I would walk out of the dining hall because that was was it. I needed to have one last thing to cleanse the palate and then be done. And I think that at that time, that was a normal that was like a lot of women in my sorority and my surroundings were had weird eating habits oh yeah but yet still at that time it wasn't to the extreme Mm. there were there were aspects where I sort of teetered but I was not at that time in the pursuit of weight loss well and I mean to be totally frank I think many many women have disordered eating. Mm-hmm. I think it's almost impossible to grow up our in our society and not have some sort of disordered mm-hmm. eating, some mm-hmm. sort of sense of you can't eat this and you can't eat that. And mm-hmm. like for me it's compounded by the fact that like honestly in America a lot of the food that we're surrounded by really isn't healthy. Right. So it's that balance of like how do we listen to our bodies and go with the flow socially and enjoy being around people and yet still fuel ourselves with things yeah. that are good. Oh, yep. It were, were brainwashed. I feel that I really was brainwashed because I, I believed what I was doing was for my health and was going to prevent cancer, was going to make me age well, was going to, um, yeah, again, like make me happy. It was going to make all my problems evaporate. And that's how diet plans work. They sell the happy girl who's thin. Mm-hmm. It's not so much about the number of pounds that you lose. It's oh, well, once I lose the weight, then I'll have access to all of these things that I wouldn't have in this different-sized body. Okay, Mm -hmm. but yeah, we don't need to, like, continue down that for right now. So what I wanted to share is, like, this massive realization that I made once I was diagnosed with ephemeria. I lost my period. Mm -hmm. And once I realized that I wanted to make a life change, 
I started learning. I started doing some research. Um, and the most mind-blowing thing to learn from me was the fact that when you restrict, the natural biological response is to binge. Of course. And I never identified as a binge eater. That word holds a lot of weight, mm-hmm. lack of a better word. Yeah. And it's a, it's something scary. There's something, you know, binge eating is bad. There's binge eating disorder, it's over overeating, emotional eating. All these things have been demonized, but it's a natural biological response to restriction. So then when I was confronted with that information, I realized like, oh, wow, like it's not normal to go out a jar of peanut butter with a spoon. Like it's the last thing I'm going to eat. Mm. And there would be these really like manic responses that I'd have um, in regards to I would be eating a meal that I knew that I had prepared myself. And then there was this fear that I didn't know where my next meal was going to come from because I didn't know if it would be approved. I didn't know if it would be like clean or healthy enough. Mm -hmm. Um, And I manipulated social scenarios and I missed out on social opportunities because I was so obsessed with clean eating. Oh, and I think, I mean, I feel like you've told me some of the stories where it's like people would invite you out to dinner and like you would go, but you would have already eaten. So Mm -hmm. you can enjoy the social interaction, but you would sit there and not eat anything. And whether you actually had eaten or not, (laughs) you weren't going to eat the things that were there. Yeah. Yeah. I missed out on going out on dates. There were times that I'd eat in my car out of Tupperware and I... I was just so sad. I, right now, it's just making me sad. Like, I want to just, like, send love and compassion to that version of myself that didn't... I don't think I knew any better. I really thought what I, that I was doing was normal. The best thing. The best thing. For your body. Well, and it's interesting because when Sammy and I first met, right? Like, when we first met, I was in the throes of veganism. Mm-hmm. And, like, it was at the point where we met where I really feel like my... I mean, for... A, for multiple months at that point, I guess, my experiment with veganism, I felt like had tipped the scales towards control. Mm -hmm. And I like really identify with what you're saying about the idea of binging and just that like people would joke, like we've never seen anyone eat as much as you do. And like, I was the thinnest I had ever been, but I was eating more food than I'd ever eaten in my (laughs) life because when all you eat is kale and lettuce, you need to eat truckloads (laughs) of kale and lettuce to even get like somewhat near the amount of calories. So it was like I would cook myself these beautiful meals and I really feel like I learned a ton about cooking. All the food I was eating was textbook healthy. Like my my diet was textbook balanced, but like when I'd sit down to eat, it was just like I would eat as much as possible. possible. Mm -hmm. Um, And fast, right? Yeah. Well, and I don't know if I would like... I don't know. I just feel like I was always eating. (laughs) Like I was just so hungry all the time. Um, and like, I really identify with what you're saying too, of like, I'd always have food with me. I'd be eating before or after social events and it just, it wasn't sustainable or healthy yeah. for me. It wasn't sustainable. And then when I got to that point, I realized that it was a choice that I could continue down this path of restriction and rules and, and order and right. It looked so, it looked so manageable. It mm-hmm. made me have order to the disorder of my life. And when I felt like things in my romantic part of my life were not panning out the way that I wanted them to, that this could be something that I could have control over. And that is the case with, with all eating disorders. They're, they're forms of control management. And I, 
I was saying that like I started to do some research and I discovered some really amazing people who are out there in this world in the body positive universe Mm -hmm. and in the eating disorder recovery universe and one of those people her name is Isabel Fox and Duke and I want to put her name out there because she is such a goddess Mm -hmm. and she transformed the way I thought about all of this Um, and she she makes the clear distinction between overeating and emotional eating Um, And there's nothing wrong with emotional eating. There's nothing wrong with after a long day, you come home and you you eat chocolate or (laughs) you you eat and you're like, oh my God, 20 minutes just went by and I've been putting things in my mouth this whole time and I couldn't even taste them. I don't even know what that was. There are so many ways that we could unhealthfully deal with stress. Like people turn to drugs, people self-harm. There are... It's just so many horrible things that people go through and they endure. And if eating food, which is a form of comfort, is going to, again, bring comfort to a sense, like something that feels sensitive and difficult. Isabel Fox and Duke talks about that there's nothing, there's no, nothing harmful about that, but we've demonized it. And you've really changed my opinion on that because mm. growing up, I definitely identified as an emotional eater. And then like I went through a phase where I was trying to like stop the emotional eating. Yeah. And I mean, like with anything, too much of something is bad, yeah, right? Everything in moderation. Everything in moderation. But like what I feel like I've really learned since I've been living with you is like I feel like it's been a return to my intuitive eating and just like if I want chocolate I'm gonna eat chocolate and like if I eat enough chocolate to satisfy myself that night then like I the next day maybe I will or maybe I won't eat chocolate but like I when I honor what my body wants in the moment then I don't feel like I'm like holding out on things or like denying myself of things Mm -hmm. which feels really good for whatever I choose to eat in the future you know you know you're saying it more eloquently than I can right now it's that's exactly right and it's all about trusting your body and Mm -hmm. I know that that's something that you're coming home to in a massive sense yeah and trusting that your body can digest whatever it eats Mm -hmm. and there will be days when you give yourself a stomach ache yeah there will be days when you don't eat enough right and all of them are just and there will be days when you eat too much yeah like it's just like in yoga like falling out of the pose is good information for your body right but and and just approaching everything with compassion and with grace is the way in which I found my way outside of the disordered eating Mm -hmm. and I allowed myself to eat what I wanted when I wanted it and that was the antidote Mm. and it feels like the scariest fucking thing in the world there's a, there's another podcast that I'm obsessed with. It's called Life Unrestricted, and it's about this. She's this girl who's from Switzerland, and she talks all about her journey as well. And mm-hmm. she struggled with anorexia, and she talks about how she ultimately doesn't eat anything all day long, and then at nine o'clock at night she has this massive feast, mm-hmm. and it's like the one time of the day where she's happy, where mm-hmm. she's just like so content and at peace, and eats like a savage animal, and is so full that she like can't even move or breathe. And then, you know, goes to sleep and then the next day wakes up and she's like, oh my God, that was so bad. I could never, I can't do that. You know, I need to go like walk a bajillion miles to like burn off these calories. And then like the whole cycle just repeats all over again. Wow. And like, it's just like, that's just so human of us. Like it's like we, the animalistic side of us needs (laughs) to be honored. And like Mm -hmm. food is a basic animal need. Yeah. And actually I'm interested in that you said that because you can't. If, if, okay, so 
some people say, oh, I binge eat, but that I'm addicted to food. They call it that. They're like, oh, there's something wrong with me. I'm, I'm just crazy around food. I just can't control myself. I just fall off the wagon and I eat. Isabel Fox and Duke talks about this. But you can't say like, oh, well, I have this addiction, so I'll just cut it out of my life. You can't stop eating food. Right. The same way that you can say like, oh, I'm addicted to drugs or alcohol and you'll all just go cold turkey. No, you have to have a relationship <laughs> with food if you exactly. want to live. Yes. Like, you have to. Yes. Yes. So, again, for me... The way that I found peace with made peace made with food was I just stopped restricting. So, so whenever this is kind of a tough question, but I'm gonna throw it out there. Whenever we met and we were talking about disordered eating and restrictive eating, and I identified very strongly as vegan at the time. Yeah, I really struggled with trying to like consolidate my framework with your framework. Yeah. So, like when it comes to diets, like veganism or vegetarianism mm-hmm. or being gluten-free like with the framework that you use and how you understand food and like move throughout the world what is your opinion on diets like that I, think, I mean do you view those as diets yes I think they're all diets I think they're all diets and I think that when we sat across the table and we were talking about it I I was sort of just like knowing in the back of my head that like you would come to the same realizations that I would in your own time But, I mean, I still feel like, I feel like I know many strong and successful vegans and vegetarians Mm -hmm. who would, whose bodies would not respond well to meat at this point. Mm -hmm. Like, especially if you grow up being vegetarian, Mm -hmm. like, if your body just isn't primed to eat meat, and that's just, like, not the mode that you move through in the world, like... But I think it all comes down to just honoring intuitive eating. So if, if that person never, their body truly never craves piece of chicken then so be it then they don't want to eat chicken but if their body does want chicken and they're like but I'm vegan I can't eat it that's where I think it becomes problematic Mm. when you're denying what your body is craving or asking for Mm. Mm. yeah yeah I really like that and I think that I think that that for me personally held true where it was like I grew up eating meat and eating dairy and eating all these things and like the year the year that I cut them all out, the thing I craved more than anything was chicken. Mm-hmm. And like even now, I still don't feel like I've balanced out all the way from that. I mean, I buy rotisserie chicken yeah. every week Wasn't because I miss eating it yes. so much. Isn't that so interesting? And I'm sure one day it will balance out. But yeah. it's hard because we talked about that where it's like my ideological framework doesn't align with... <laughs> Your theory. My Yeah, my theory about food, which is I want to be supporting sustainable eating and mm-hmm. I don't want to be supporting yeah. the meat industry. But like I currently am at a point where I need to find other ways to do that because... Yeah, my body has spoken Mm -hmm. and I think as you mentioned you lost your period I lost my period too and it was like I have to listen to these signs yeah yeah you have to listen to the signs and then I think the third the last piece I'll say on this and it's most important another massive part of my recovery is that I started working with a coach Mm. so I hired someone named Maddie Moon she is amazing she has her own podcast called mind body musings and I started listening to her podcast, and that's actually how I found her. And I got connected, and she has a whole background of orthorexia as well, where she was a um, fitness model. She would do these like bikini competitions where you get really, really lean, and you don't eat anything, or <laughs> you have a really restrictive diet where you eat like, like, like chicken breasts and broccoli for months. And um, she found her way out of that and did it really successfully. And I'm like, oh my God, it's possible. So what she was able to help coach me through was the, the 
the changing of my body. So that was, mm. that was really hard. I think that was even possible. Like I used to say like dieting's, dieting's hard, you know, like eating clean is hard. I have to do all this prep work. It's expensive. Um, you have to have all this knowledge and all this time, but recovery was so much harder because I had to change all of my mental frameworks. Mm. I had to confront the fact that like I valued thinness. Mm. I valued or, and, and I equated thinness with happiness and like I'll just share this on the podcast and I'll share with you that like we have this colleague at work who inhabits a very thin body and even still today like I have to actively remind myself that just because she's in a thinner body does not mean that she lives a happier or easier life mm-hmm. or that her life is better than mine mm-hmm. because I've been so conditioned to believe that yeah and the work that I did with Maddie was all around like embracing my fullness and embracing my softness and being okay with going to buy new jeans because my jeans didn't fit me anymore Mm. and that it doesn't um it doesn't take away from me that doesn't um it doesn't uh negatively impact my essence in fact it, it I've been hiding from it yeah I've been like afraid of my feminine figure Mm. that's like a whole nother alleyway and a whole nother point to this is like I am afraid to have a big butt I'm afraid to have curves (laughs) because I'm afraid of the male gaze you know like I don't know like whatever that danger could bring so that was it was just easier to make myself as small as possible and take up as little room as possible yeah you've put it so eloquently before where I think you've said like it was easier to diet than it was to inhabit my my full body Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm yeah so I like wanted to share that on the podcast and I think that we'll need to revisit it at some point because I Mm. think I'm only touching certain parts of it yeah well and it's so interesting too because you look really fucking good (laughs) thank you love you friend (laughs) okay so tell us about the next piece yeah let me talk about honey bunches of oats Oh, girl, my favorite cereal in the world. I grew up on this shit in high school. I used to eat this every single day. How, like, we don't have honey bunches of oats in Spain. Girl, I have looked. I have looked hard <laughs> and wide. What I have looked you? in every store. Oh they, my, do, they do I not like, carry it here. Well, I should have brought some back after Christmas. Oh, no, it's what okay. Was I thinking? Well, I'm, not, I'm no longer like, <laughs> I need to get my hands on it. There were things that I felt that way about, like Triscuits and sunflower oh, butter. We have, we have those. <laughs> yeah, just, it just always has a special place in my heart. So I have a couple short little excerpts about honey bunches of oats. Um, first of all, I used to eat it all the time in high school. And then when I went to Yukon, they had all the cereals in the dining hall except for this one. Oh. So whenever I'd go home on the weekend, I would bring back baggies. I would measure out three quarters cup full baggies and I'd honestly probably bring like 50 at oh a time and then I would like put them in my little file cabinet drawer and every morning I'd wake up and I'd grab a baggie and I'd go downstairs <laughs> and I'd pour the milk in the, in the bowl and I would eat my honey bunches of oats and I was like mmm tastes like home <laughs> like, mm. it was the ultimate comfort food for me mm. still is I love honey bunches. I feel like of oats. we need to have an emergency honey bunches of oats. Stash we for should you. run to Taste to America, Taste from America, Taste of, taste of, taste America. of America, and see if they have it there. I haven't checked. Oh my gosh, we have to, <laughs> just in case of emergency. Just in case of emergency. Um, what else? About honey bunches of oats. So yeah, I mean, obviously that's a form of disordered eating as well. That that was freshman year of college that I would do with the baggies. I had it all measured out and like one three quarters of a cup of this and one cup of milk, like counting exactly mm. and tracking. Um, 
And there was a point where I survived off of this. That this was all I ate when I was in the throes of freshman year. Adjusting. That was not fun. Yeah. Um, and that was the one thing that brought me joy. Um, and then I moved away from it for a while. And then when I was in the throes of orthorexia, I wasn't eating this either. Mm. And then it was one of the first foods that I brought back into oh, my life. And were you so happy oh, to Oh my God. I think it. I had like three bowls in a row. This was like your version mm. of chicken. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's a perfect example. Yeah. Like I couldn't wait to get my hands on it. Uh, and whenever I go home, I have some. It's just forever my favorite. And the oat clusters. Did you ever make Rice Krispie bars out of it? No. I'm not a huge fan of marshmallow. Mm. It just doesn't do it for me. It's fair. It's the oat clusters. So like the granola the part. The granola part is in that is really good. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's it for now for Honey Bunches of Oats. Mm. Do you have any, any cereals that are special to you? Honey Bunches of Oats was also <laughs> special to me. Um, but the cereal that's the most special to me absolutely is oatmeal. Oatmeal. It was, yeah. But that's not a cereal. But it, it was. I would like Do you eat it with up, milk? I would wake up every morning. Yeah, we eat it with milk. We always pour milk over our oatmeal. Oh. But you cook the oatmeal first. Yes. Okay. Yeah. But I have been known to eat oats raw. Me too. <laughs> yeah. It, like when I worked at camp, um, I was also vegan once more besides this last year. Hmm. And the year I was vegan at camp, whenever we were on trail, so I would lead canoe trips through the wilderness of northern Wisconsin. And um, I would just, I mean, I would be cooking eggs and stuff for, like, all the campers, and then I would be eating just raw oats. Oh, and- <laughs> yep, that sounds so familiar. Um, but in high school, I would wake up every morning, and I would make oatmeal, mm-hmm. and um, I'd make it all different sorts of ways. Like, I had, like, this raspberry white chocolate peanut butter chocolate peanut Ugh. butter and with my mom we always pour milk over everything so oh it was like God. she would always put a little bit of brown sugar fresh berries milk and so I would pour milk over it my dad always just loved nuts on it and one of my favorite memories from Wisconsin mm. as they're in the throes of a really intense cold spell right now um the days it would snow, my dad and I would wake up early and we'd go out and shovel the driveway together. Aww. And when we were halfway done, I would go inside and start making oatmeal. Making oatmeal? Oh my god, that's so nice. That's my honey bunches of oats. That's your honey bunch of oats. I know that you're feeling a little homesick this week. Yeah. For the polar vortex. <laughs> yeah, I know. Who knew that negative 50 degree weather would make me homesick? Yeah. Although I was feeling, I was talking about that with my students, and then we turned on the news, and I was, like, waxing poetic about how much I miss the cold. And, like, a bunch of people have died because it's so cold. Mm -hmm. And then I felt a little weird saying that I missed that because I don't want anyone to die. No. But, no, but you can miss your home. (laughs) Yeah. You can miss your family. You can miss being huddled huddled up in the heat of your home. And not miss, yeah, the actual conditions. No, and not miss, no, not miss Mm. the... (laughs) <laughs> destruction that that brings Mm-mm. and of course the um global climate change that that's indicative of oh, but yeah. now this is topic for another time okay shall we yeah our third portion the cow facing pose okay which is hilarious okay um shall i demonstrate you this one? demonstrate i'm gonna do my best to give it a description yeah okay so i'll talk about the lower body and then the upper body so your lower body is twisted right you've got one thigh over the other thigh yeah so the first thing i'm going to do is just sit down with like both my 
heels on the floor in front of me and my tailbone totally planted in the floor and sitting up. Mm-hmm. And then... And then your arms, you're going to have one arm reach over the top of your head and bend at the elbow. Mm-hmm. So you're putting your hand as far down your neck and back as possible. And then your other hand is going to wrap around... Oh gosh, how do I explain that? The other, the other side of your behind, the other side of your back, and you're going to try to clasp your, your hands and your fingers behind your back. Yes. So as I move into this, I'm going to start with my legs before I do my arms. So I'm going to bring my right leg and tuck it underneath me so that my heel is facing the back wall, my knee is facing the front wall, and then I'm going to take my left leg and do the same thing. So I'm going to bring my left leg around so that my heel is facing the back wall, my knee is facing the front wall, and the trick here is to align your knees. So now both my feet are on the floor facing behind me, my knees are aligned, um, and they're on top of each other, and I'm sitting up. And I'm feeling a big stretch right now on the side of my hips. Do you feel it in where your left hip bone is wrapping down? Yeah, I feel it on both hip bones. Both hips. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and so then I'm going to reach up, like you said, I'm going to reach my right arm in the air. And reach down and kind of touch my neck and my left arm I'm going to reach out behind me and then reach up to clasp my hands behind me this is sort of like the classic tricep stretch that we do in like PE or whatever yeah now Lauren can you clasp both of your hands on both sides yes so if I switch the pose now I'm gonna just switch my legs so that my left leg is underneath and my right leg is on top and then we'll do the same thing here so my left arm now is, wait, no, my right arm is behind and my yeah, left arm is over yeah. my head. I can get one side, but not the other. Mm, and this is so common in yeah. yoga poses, that one side of our body is more open and more flexible than the other side. Except when, when Manel comes and he just pushes my elbow down, <laughs> <laughs> which I don't appreciate. Shout out to Manel. <laughs> For the record, he's one of my favorite yoga teachers of all time. <laughs> he's great he's great not yes. knocking me out but he's he will he will push you into poses that you may or may not be ready for for me anytime he touches me and pushes me into the poses right. i'm like yes <laughs> but i understand i understand so how can we tie this together well what are you thinking about i mean cow face pose is complex mm-hmm. like just the fact that i think as we were talking through it Again, it's like the most important thing is getting the face. And I guess like when I think about cow facing pose, it's an intense posture and it's not one that I would normally move right into. To prepare for cow facing pose, first I would do pigeon pose, Mm -hmm. um, which is a different pose where you're stretching like the outside of your quads. And Mm -hmm. then I would, yeah, maybe move into double pigeon pose and Mm -hmm. sit here first. Really open up the hips first. Yeah, yeah. And I also would, st- I would, I would do the hands separately. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a pose that you would build into. Yeah. It's not a pose you would go just straight into. And a pose that you do at the end of a class. Mm-hmm. Which I think as we, like, have been talking about kind of our journeys with food and disordered eating, um, I see a lot of connections there as far as, like, the intuitive eating that we now inhabit and are exploring mm-hmm. isn't something that we just jump right into. It's it's oh it's complex. yeah. You cannot like wake up one day and just decide you're gonna have intuitive eating over disordered eating. That's such a great point. That it has been a journey. It has taken me like several years to get to a point where I can say that I comfortably intuitively eat. 
And in fact, like I had to do this whole workbook. I didn't have to. I, I wanted to. <laughs> I brought myself through this workbook and had to confront so many different layers of the food programming before I was even ready to like take it into action when it came to filling up my plate. Like I had to think about like all of the times when I remembered like the messaging that I got from the media and from my parents and the way that I was complimented. I had to think about what my values were around food and body. Absolutely. And I feel like as I've been on the journey of transitioning out of being vegan, you've been really helpful in kind of providing and being supportive Mm -hmm. of incremental stages and like trying things little by little and like following my body, readjusting. Um, But I mean, just like, just like with the yoga poses and how we say there is no, there's no way to be bad at yoga as long Mm -hmm. as you're listening to your body, right? Like whatever possible, whatever expression of the posture you're in, Mm -hmm. as long as you're listening to your body and stretching the muscles that are supposed to be stretched in that pose, like it's the right one for you. 100%. And I mean, I kind of think that's where cow face pose leaves us. We're like, this pose isn't right for everyone and it's not right for any individual's body all the time either necessarily right Mm -hmm. so it's something that we really have to honor how we get there Mm -hmm. and whenever it is a pose that we can express in its fullest expression Mm -hmm. it's definitely a moment to pause yeah and it's appreciate the journey that got us there yeah and it's like great so be it you've hit the pose but that doesn't mean oh you've succeeded no it's just you've hit the pose and it's gonna it will always continue to evolve yeah your hips will continue to open your Oh, what's this right here? Your, right here. I don't know. Like your armpit. <laughs> Where your shoulder is. We need some more anatomy. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. No, we do. To, it continues to just be more comfortable, I guess. Mm. And I think overall, like it's if we practice, yeah, if we haven't stated it directly, eating is a practice, mm-hmm. and yoga is a practice. Yes. And all we can do is show up. And Everything practice. is a practice. Everything is a practice. So speaking of our practices. Let us choose the topics for next week. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'll come up to you. Yeah, yeah. Great. So, mm, themes first. Themes first. Our theme for this upcoming week. Oh, forming friendships. Ooh. And the food is salmon. Ooh. Mm. Just another one, another one that's so good. <laughs> and both of these are yours. Okay, and Ooh! our yoga posture. Hand, oh no, sorry. Yeah. Not excited. Is it handstand? Yeah. Yes. Handstand. What's the Sanskrit? Adho Mukha Vrakasana. Amaze. So there we go. Forming friendships, s- salmon, and handstand. Coming to you next week. We'll see you next week.